Hello, Metro Augusta. Hello, Georgia. And hello, wherever you are. This is Janice Allen Jackson welcoming you to the November 29th edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. As always, today's show is brought to you as a service of my consulting firm, and that is Janice Allen Jackson and Associates, where we proudly provide services to local government and nonprofit organizations. If you have not already, please follow the Local Matters Podcast of Georgia on Facebook. And of course, we ask you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. When you follow and subscribe, you receive notifications when we post new episodes. And that also lets us know that you support our efforts. As we begin our episode today, I want to follow up on the mayoral runoff election in Burke County. As you will recall, a few weeks ago when we covered elections, um, we let you know that in the mayor's race, nobody got to that magic 50% plus one of the vote. So there will be a runoff and early voting has begun already. It began this past Monday and it extends through the end of this week. So it's just one week of advanced voting and it will be conducted at the Burke County Courthouse located on Liberty Street in downtown Waynesboro. And of course, the official election day is Tuesday, December 5th. So if you live within the city limits of Waynesboro, please go out and make your voices heard uh, so that you can say that you took part in this election and deciding who it is that will be mayor of your city. I also want to make you aware of another event that is coming up. It is related to something that you've probably seen in the news. Uh, you may recall a, a news about the development of a tiny home community on Mary Street, which is in Augusta, up near Richmond Academy, to give you some perspective right off Walton Way. There, um, an organization called Bridge Builder Communities is inviting you to participate in a barbecue and brews online telethon. Yes, that's an online fundraiser. And of course, they as a nonprofit organization are providing services to young people who are aging out of foster care. Um, I'm actually going to have the leader of that organization, Dr. Jackson Drumgool, on a future show. He'll be on in a few weeks. Uh, and this fundraiser is really important to support those efforts, to support those people aged 18 to 25 who are coming out of foster care and don't have many resources for support. So if you are on uh, Facebook, uh, please go to their page, Bridge Builder Communities. Uh, if not, you can go online, I believe, to YouTube. This will take place on December 7th, which is next Thursday, 7 p.m. online streaming live or on their YouTube channel. So they have an ambitious fundraising goal of $250,000 to build Augusta's first tiny home community for youth aging out of the foster care system. So please, uh, if you can participate in that virtual event, they would greatly appreciate it. Also want to give you a bit of a preview for today's episode. Uh, we have uh, someone coming in to talk to us about environmental issues. 
And that's one of the things in the African-American community, I think in particular, and in society in general, there's a lot that we don't know and understand about how our environment impacts us. And I know sometimes we may think about topics like this and go, well, gosh, is that something I really need to know about? Is it something that I really need to take the time to understand? So this episode promises to be a good one to help explain some of those things, as well as some of the resources that are available uh, and have been made available through the federal government to support clean energy sources. And this really gets into how that affects us as your average everyday citizen. So I hope that you will stay with us and learn a lot from this particular episode. Local Matters family, today we have a wonderful treat and that is a former mayor from all the way in California. So she's on the left coast, as they like to call it. And we are so pleased that she has chosen to be on Local Matters to talk about some things that have happened at the federal level that are very significant to us at the local level. How are you doing today, Miss Asia Brown? I'm doing well, Miss Jackson. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for wanting to be a part of Local Matters. One of our traditions is that if you come on once, you're part of the family. So now you are part of the Local Matters podcast family. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, tell us a little bit about your government career. Absolutely. Um, I started out in government in 2003. Um, I spent um, almost 20 years uh, working in local communities in the um, Los Angeles County region of California. Um, I worked in the areas of economic development, of redevelopment, um, leading program administration from a variety of um, capital improvement projects, as well as um, brownfield redevelopment, um, and then also um, focusing on uh, just community development at large. Um, after 12 years, I ran for mayor of Compton, California, um, in which I served two terms or eight years. Um, and in that time, was able to uh, lead a, a lot of transformative change for Compton. Uh, we uh, really centered on a 12-point vision for Compton plan that uh, really out outlined community economic development strategies that also was data um, anchored and driven. And so we were able to um, generate record levels of, of uh, employment, uh, new levels of, of uh, redevelopment and uh, reinvestment into the Compton community. We were able to drive down crime um, and a host of other um, just key quality of life indicators. And then post uh, public life, um, I rested a year, had my second daughter, um, and then shifted into the technology sector, uh, still focusing on um, driving change for the public sector. Um, I, I joined Forward Platform, which is um, a gov tech um, organization that focuses on partnering with governments and organizations to deliver resources and funding to their communities um, using human-centered technology and custom solutions. And so I head up the strategic partner um, wing and I focus on um, solution design, new markets, and also really crafting effective uh, communication strategies to, to connect with government and share the power of how we can help them power their missions. Was being mayor what you thought it was gonna be? And as you look back on your term as mayor, are there things that you wish you had done that you didn't quite get to? Um, I think I, I had a good idea of what 
um, being a mayor would be as I had worked really closely um, with various mayoral administrations. Um, but I think the what was interesting to me was really the the gap in like actual um, like purview or authority versus what uh, the standard understanding of the masses was. And so I, you know, you, you there's a necessity to operate um, regardless of what, you know, your authority or direct authority of power, you have to use influence, you know, influence is leadership. So um, having to navigate those realities and then there being like really present forces that capitalize on um, the, the community at large, not understanding how things really work um, was something that was enlightening to me uh, because there, I came into it thinking that there's a general desire to move forward. But everyone that's in position is not dedicated to transformation or change. Um, so that was something. No, that, you didn't say that. <laughs> every, again, everyone is not dedicated to change or transformation. There are many people that hold public office that want things to stay exactly the same. And it's just, you know, a power grab for them. So navigating, um, you know, those folks in real places and high places um, was was a challenge. But ultimately, when I think back, um, what I wish I would have done more of is taking time um, to use different um, situations as like learning opportunities for the community at large. I tend to really focus on, you know, moving the vision forward and not addressing like negativity, but I do think in some elements, like there are real learning opportunities that can help broaden and enlighten the community to, to be more mobilized. So I do think that there were some opportunities to do that more than I did. I always like to ask uh, former elected officials, you know, in hindsight, you know, which, what you would have done differently. So thank you so much. Wonderful. So you basically took the skill set that you accumulated in the first part of your career and have transferred that into the second part of the career. Absolutely. And so I'm able to work with uh, communities across the nation um, in, in helping them power solutions to help um, impact change in their communities. Excellent. So having said that, um, I like to help people focus on a few things. One, uh, the commonalities between governments. I mean, local governments, pretty much local government. If you're in California or Texas or Minnesota or Georgia or North Carolina, you know, you're providing the same um, basic set of services. There are some variations here and there, depending on what responsibilities a state government may take on. But a lot of it is very similar. And the other thing that is really important is that all of these levels of government have to kind of work together. And um, what you're going to bring for us today is an example of the federal government having done something that stands to have a very positive impact uh, at the local level. And that is the Inflation Reduction Act. You know, we hear about the IRA, the you know, all these terms and things. And um, I really would appreciate you just defining for us what that Inflation Reduction Act is and what it means to those of us who are either local government professionals or even those who are just a resident that's interested in, in what government makes available. Absolutely. Um, thank you. Uh, the Inflation Reduction Act is a, a once in a generation opportunity for cities to really make a, a real difference in the fight against climate change and focus on creating a more sustainable and equitable future for their residents. So um, Congress obviously passed this landmark package 
Um, it's geared to address climate change, but there is a very strong component that's focused on economic development, job creation. There's also an element of clean energy pro uh, production. So how can we utilize uh, the, the workforce in our communities to position the United States to um, be, be uh, self-reliant in terms of clean energy uh, generation? So that means more green jobs at the local level. There's also... Um, a significant um, investment on reducing greenhouse gas emissions, which uh, historically and empirically really impact communities of color uh, historically. So there is um, an acknowledgement of uh, this element in the IRA, which is called Justice 40. And I can talk about that in just a moment, but that the, the uh, focus area is reducing those greenhouse emissions, but also just improving air quality um, for areas in communities across the U U.S. that have systemically been impacted by um, a, a negative um, economic and environmental um, implications. And so there are elements that are um, automatically appropriated to state and local governments, but then there's also a very uh, significant portion that is competitive. And so um, those competitive uh, funding programs are focused on, again, renewable energy, also building more resilient infrastructure, creating green jobs, and then also expanding access to affordable housing. Hi. And thank you for tying affordable housing into that. Um, I went to a session, I think, uh, as we chatted before we got started with this recording, I mentioned that I was in Austin, Texas, mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago for the International City County Managers Association uh, conference. And it's a great conference. Um, and, you know, it's the reason that professionals go to conferences because you got to stay on top of what's happening um, because things change so rapidly. I mean, if you go back to the beginning of my career in local government, which was eh, X number of years ago, um, you know, we didn't talk about environmental stuff very often. It just, it wasn't a thing. But of course, as the knowledge base has increased, it has become apparent that it's something that everybody at state, federal, and local government levels need to be aware of and interested in. And uh, one of the sessions that I attended was um, really connecting environmental issues with health equity issues with affordable housing issues. And it talked about just uh, what you alluded to about people of color, uh, older people. Um, basically, if you're not sick from what's built around you, the air quality related to what's built around you, you may be sick because of the air quality in your house. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's um, dedicated funding for in the IRA. 40% is for uh, disadvantaged communities that have disproportionately impacted by environmental contaminants, not only externally, but there's even elements on the consumer level to improve uh, just air quality within um, individuals' homes. So there are resources coming to um, our communities. Okay. And let's talk about the air quality in the home. I've heard some conversation about uh, gas ranges mm -hmm. and the pollutants that may be uh, emitted from those. Is that part of the Inflation Reduction Act or is that a whole separate discussion at the federal level? That is something that is not specifically identified um, like line item in the Inflation Reduction Act, but there is a policy within the IRA that um, really incentivizes states to identify um, modifications to 
policies relative to green energy or uh, even consumer products. So for instance, um, I live in California. California has identified the phasing out of gas ranges by 2030. So uh, IRA funding could be utilized to help offset the cost of that transition on the consumer uh, level. Um, there, there is discretionary funding that can help eliminate or reduce um, the economic impacts of making these green changes to individual people and especially focused on like underserved or even um, those that are um, historically lower income. So there, there are uh, mechanisms within the IRA that could be deployed at the state or local level to offset these, these uh, changes um, within their homes. Okay. And you know, that hurts my heart because I absolutely love my gas range. <laughs> I've had to make a personal transition uh, to induction and <laughs> there is a difference, but uh, that's where we're going. <laughs> because I live in an older home and that gas, it just cooks so well. I just, I just love it. But is there, I guess my question is, do they, should they be replaced or is there a way to make it's safer, make a gas ring safer. Is there, has there been research on that? And is that part of the Inflation Reduction Act? Um, relative to, to research, um, I, I'm not um, apprised of that element for IRA, but I do know that there is funding set aside to invest in renewable energy and just energy efficiency uh, within our communities. And, and that could be a variety of maybe uh, also transitioning, you know, to other um, modes of cooking, but then also there could be just upgrading older gas ranges to um, more more safe appliances um, as well. So it really depends on the state's policies um, that are being set. But there is funding set aside to help facilitate uh, that transition and move toward um, a, a greater uh, green energy footprint for the U.S. Okay. All right. Thank you for that. And when we say green energy. Tell me, what, what does that really mean? So green energy is really, um, there, there are many definitions, um, but generally that have um, a, a net zero impact to the environment. Um, when we think about uh, those that are considered um, non-green jobs, there's generally tied to like the fossil fuel industries or uh, very specific like petroleum and other um, um, really uh, historic and traditional forms of, of energy production. So anything that improves the, the carbon footprint, anything that reduces um, the, the reliance on the, those specific fossil fuel industries could be considered a green job. Okay, all right, great. And um, the climate change, we'll talk some about climate change too, because that's another, um, what was a buzzword a few years ago, I think now more and more people are kind of understanding that it's a real thing um, based upon just weather patterns. You know, every summer it seems to get hotter um, and the heat lasts for longer. So I think people are kind of getting it there. But how does this Inflation Reduction Act relate to climate change as well? What, what, what is the idea behind the funding that would be available? So relative to, to climate change, um, there are programs uh, specifically just interwoven into various aspects of IRA policy, but specifically there is a carve out for climate change. So there's like an environmental justice thriving communities grant program that focuses on, again, um, really democratizing um, air quality and reducing the, the contaminants that are found, especially in underserved communities. There's also the Greenhouse Gas Reduction Fund um, that really focuses on reducing 
greenhouse gas emissions um, throughout um, local communities as well. There's also the Climate Pollution Reduction Grant Program that is focused on investing in technologies that reduce greenhouse gas emissions and also other harmful air pollutants. Um, there's also uh, very specific uh, indicators that are tracked um, via the air quality management districts for various states and regions. And so there are a whole host of indicators that they are tracking. And so within all of those indicators, there are opportunities to craft um, programs that help reduce um, the, the long-term impact or, out, or outcomes within those specific areas. But um, I want to just highlight, too, that there is a, a national clean investment fund, um, and then there's also a, a Water Infrastructure Finance and Innovation Act. So there are various opportunities, and, and also specifically, there's the general and low-income assistance competition. So there is funding set aside that um, is really supporting projects that reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So what that looks like in a community, it could be um, adding additional um, bike paths or could be uh, trying to uh, maybe support affordable housing in close proximity to transit so that the last mile could be eliminated. There could be, um, there's there's a whole host of programs that uh, local communities can apply for these various sources of funding that ultimately help improve um, the climate in, in the long term. And then relative to uh, the water infrastructure finance, there's another um, specific support opportunity for um, communities to help um, really add resilience to their water systems, um, thinking about just the, the continued obsolescence of American infrastructure as a whole. There is the, the opportunity to layer Inflation Reduction Act funds and Build Back Better funds. So um, what I, I personally see the IRA is it's, it's a great um, amplifier and, and catalyst funding source that will be around for the next 10 years. Um, I believe communities have an opportunity to look at what they're funding for their community development block grant projects and programs layer on the Build Back Better um, opportunities. So if they're thinking about infrastructure programs that, again, help to reduce um, air quality or improve air quality within their communities, um, and then thinking about layering on some of these spot grant opportunities so that they can really be successful in securing some of the funding that is competitive. So there will be funds that are just generally appropriated by formula, but then again, Justice 40 is competitive. So 40% of the IRA will be made available for very specific activities um, that highly um, impact um, underserved or dis historically disadvantaged communities and communi communities of color. And as you talk about the competitive funding, I heard you formula funding, exactly, which means basically based upon your population, I guess the characteristics of your population, your community may get X dollars. Mm -hmm. And then you mentioned the competitive funding. Does that mean that the local government organizations will have to apply for those dollars? Yes. Um, so local governments will, will need to apply, but then there will also be some consumer products that small businesses can apply for or individual property owners can apply for. Um, what we're seeing uh, with Forward Platform is that there are now local governments that are starting to really think comprehensively about how they will um, really mobilize around the IRA and they're creating um, platforms um, in, in some way that could be powered um, by Forward to really bring all of their strategic objectives in one platform, uh, secure uh, funding through competitive means, through um, grant writing and other just program design strategies. And then also the, the alignment of stakeholders. So uh, generally 
from uh, my experience in government administration, successful grant applications um, really are comprised of a variety of, of very strong stakeholders. So having the, the element of being able to pull stakeholders around a specific issue to uh, be competitive um, throughout um, these opportunities is also very important. And the, the last element is thinking about how to augment staff capacity, which across the nation, regardless of budget, community size, there is a shortage in uh, government administration staffing. And so while opportunities come up like the IRA or even Build Back Better, uh, there is still a very real reality that governments are having a hard time administering existing programs. We saw this bottleneck relative to uh, COVID-19 relief uh, funding packages that uh, communities were appropriated millions of dollars and some still have not fully spent those funds from two years ago. And so it's not that there is a need gap, there is a administration gap. And so being able to utilize technology is really going to be an essential element of being not only sustainable, but also being successful in these competitive opportunities. Okay, okay. All right, and, and you, you hit on something that is really, really significant. As I talk to people who are in local government, be it elected officials, be it city and county managers, be it HR professionals, every organization seems to be short-staffed these days. Um, and, you know, when the, during the pandemic, the conversation was, well, people just don't want to work anymore. But as you dig deeper into that, you find instances where somebody who um, had COVID now has long COVID systems and they just symptoms and they just aren't as functional as they used to be. So they've had to drop out of the workforce. Um, I see instances where people who are eligible for retirement and used to say, hey, you know, I'll work another four or five years. They just decide, I, no, I'm out of here. Because yeah. I don't want to risk the exposure uh, and things are just a lot different, a lot more stressful now. So they decide to go ahead and retire. And then, of course, the more morbid piece of that is there just aren't as many people to work anymore because we had so many people who passed away because of the virus. So you can buy all of those factors and it seems like local governments really are strained um, in terms of being able to do, even to do their basic work, more or less any quote unquote extras, like going out to secure grant funds. So is that something that your firm provides as well? For, do they, they actually do it for governments if necessary? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so okay. with forward platform and to your Exact point, Ms. Jackson, there is a, a drain on local governments and just government as a whole because of all the reasons that you just mentioned. And so um, the, the last element too that I'd just like to add is just this natural attrition. There are you know people that just naturally retire, but there's government is such a, spe a specific, unique niche industry that the processes and workflows and policies um, that are applicable to the government sector are, are not standard to any other industry. And so there are, are specialists needed to actually like move and program these funds and get them out to where they're supposed to go. Um, so with Forward, with Forward Platform, uh, one of the reasons why I decided to come on board is like I've been <laughs> in the shoes of government uh, where, you know, we, we've had high need, but we have such low capacity that it's just so hard to meet the gap. And so 
um, it's really exciting to be able to provide government with the tools that I wish I had. Um, and so program administration from front to end is something that a forward platform um, specializes in. So forward will take any uh, source of government funding, design a program, uh, market the program, also administer funding directly to uh, the residents or small businesses. And then they also do a very intricate data dashboard so that uh, government can understand in real time like where their taxpayers are, taxpayer funding is being spent and which populations are being impacted by that investment. And then there's also the compliance piece. So Forward also handles all of the reporting requirements and also responds to audits um, in partnership with our um, partner agencies. And so taking uh, all of the, the front to end um, program administration and being able to augment staff capacity is, is what Forward provides to the marketplace. We work um, with cities uh, large and small from state governments, New York and Washington. We've uh, administered programs for the city of Long Beach and the county of Los Angeles, which is one of the largest counties in the nation, all the way to smaller cities. We're working in Gwinnett County um, in Georgia, which is in the, obviously greater Atlanta proper. So we work across the nation um, throughout U.S. cities, and we're able to administer any type of program. But the, the key element that uh, I, I really want to just highlight is that there are so many different programs. The standard enterprise programs, there could be 30 programs that cities routinely have to administer that have 30 different um, statutory regulations and maybe 30 different service populations. And then there's also these new programs or spot programs like IRA and Build Back Better. So there is an ever-growing complexity essential to actually administering uh, government program opportunities. And so we also uh, recognize that and we um, also write grants for our partners. We've um, written several grants in the last quarter that are also federal and foundation. So we think about how do we get more money into the communities that need it? And then how do we help our partners administer those funds um, effectively? And so we're able to um, help at both, both ends of the pipeline. Okay. And so that really does help put all of this in context for the local governments, you know, mm -hmm. that, yeah, the federal government's made some programs available. And yes, there are some resources out there that can help you apply for the, the competitive funding and put your programs together on behalf of your your residents. Mm -hmm. um, speaking from the resident side, um, if I'm the average citizen or the citizen who is concerned about government and concerned about my community, uh, why should I be interested in Build Back Better and the Inflation Reduction Act? You know, sort of what's in it for, for, for me as the, the average citizen? <laughs> So what's in it uh, for the average citizen from IRA and Build Back Better? Uh, better infrastructure. There are definitely programs in every community that um, have some funding appropriated, but there's some, some funding gaps. And so um, IRA and Build Back Better, they have the opportunity to help fill those funding gaps. They have the opportunity to help transform the built environment with uh, various investments um, that improve the way that we live, planting trees and, um, and installing bike paths and affordable housing near transit and creating additional jobs that ultimately drive up incomes uh, within our communities and, and also uh, expand the amount of money that's available to reinvest in small businesses and so to really fuel this cycle um, of, of health and sustainability. So this is just a huge opportunity to think about like what's needed in the community and then look at these funding sources as um, 
opportunities to leverage the success of those planned programs. And so on the consumer side, like directly to household, there could be uh, incentive programs for new appliances there. We've seen uh, funding relative to um, transforming um, heating devices uh, within communities. There could be um, additional enhancements in broadband uh, broadband infrastructure, so free Wi-Fi or, or other elements that um, really just make make life easier and better. So um, really, I encourage the, the local constituent to reach out to your local community um, and just identify, ask, what's the strategy to take advantage of the Inflation Reduction Act? What are you all doing to position our community to take advantage of this like once in a really a, a lifetime hallmark package? Like every community should have a plan about how they're going to go after their fair share and help further impact within their communities for the people that they serve. Okay. And at the end of the day, I think what I'm hearing is this, there's potential for uh, a healthier community, a healthier environment, a cleaner water supply, because mm -hmm. we know that many of these communities have struggled with that. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I had an episode with somebody who actually lived in Flint, Michigan, and she talked up close and personal about the challenges of living in community to educate children who have been affected by a water supply that definitely was not clean. Mm -hmm. And um, I that hit home, I think, for me about how just the connection between us, particularly as people of color, um, but everybody, it affects everybody, but we know these things are more likely to happen in, in communities of color, low wealth communities, etc. cetera. Um, just connecting the dots with, you know, environmental justice. And I'd like you to talk a little bit about that too, uh, but you're connecting the dots, water supply, pollution, um, uh, emissions, greenhouse gas emissions, just all those those things. It seems like our communities generally and specifically among low wealth communities and people of color, we just don't know enough about those topics. Mm -hmm. Agreed, um, Ms. Jackson. And I think one, the last element that you just highlighted, we don't know enough about those topics, but the, the key to debunking or, or closing that knowledge gap is with information and data. And we're living in 2023. We've seen so, so many advances with AI and other just data um, providers that every community, if they plan on investing tax resources in an equitable manner, there should be a way to, to gather and demonstrate data so that in underserved communities, regardless of, and this is like an economic development um, misnomer, but there are even to communities that have like lower income average, they still generally, and the data suggests that there still is a higher proportion of individual people that live within these areas. So there may be a lower average income, but the, the per capita income rivals the more affluent areas. And so what happens from the administration lens is um, there's this general thought of we must you know, protect and continue to upgrade and enhance the more affluent areas. But the reality is that these tax dollars are being driven from underserved lower income communities. So there should be an, an equity lens applied to how funds are reinvested in infrastructure, which also relates to the environmental justice component. So what happened in Flint, Michigan, environmental injustice. What, what we've seen happen to communities across the nation, environmental injustice when infrastructure breaks down that ultimately has a very tangible uh, health impact and also uh, an environmental impact, which also 
secondarily impacts the economy. So then this is like this self-fulfilling cycle of, of degradation. So data is the only way to democratize the, the distribution of resources and technology should be the standard in 2023 and beyond of how communities across the nation are not only administering taxpayer dollars, but doing so in a transparent manner. Um, and then also really identifying that, that their investment decisions are designed to build equity. If they are not, then we're continuing the structural uh, degradation of, of our communities. And so this there is real opportunity to reverse this, but in order to, to do that, we, we need to be um, strategic in demanding data, demanding that resources are invested in an equitable manner um, and making sure that this process is transparent. So communities should be using some, some form of a technology platform to, to prove that what they are doing is fair, just and equitable. Excellent, thank you so much for that. Um, I think you may have just given me the title for this episode when you said data is the way to democratize the use of yes. resources. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uniquely is positioned to do for communities. Okay, because, and, and I'll be honest, going back again, been around local government game for a long time. Um, the squeaky wheels got the resources. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and this changes the paradigm, the, the presence of data, which means you've got to be gathering data. It's got to be well-organized and it's got to be reported back in a way that people understand but in gathering that data, that helps mute the the squeaky wheel to a degree and really allocate resources in the way that would be most equitable. Okay. Yes. This information is available. It's ready to available across the nation. There's so many different um, inputs now that literally neighborhood specific data exists about how people are spending their money, how much money is available, how much tax dollars are being um, appropriated from that community. This information exists, but they need tools to aggregate that. Excellent. Uh, we've had a, a great conversation about um, some of the resources federal government's made available and also about the connections between uh, energy, uh, greenhouse gas emissions, the need for clean water infrastructure, and how that impacts communities of color and lower wealth communities. Um, is there anything else that you want to share with our Local Matters family before we wrap up our interview today? Um, no, just I, I encourage everyone to just get involved, get engaged, just even a simple, you know, call to your administrators or to your elected officials and just asking the question, like, what are we doing to prepare for IRA for Build Back Better could really get the ball rolling in a, in a good direction. All right. Very good. Appreciate the time um, that you spent in public service, as well as how you are now um, accomplishing some of the same things, you know, making, creating positive change and making communities better. Um, so thank you so much for being a part of the Local Matters family. Thank you for having me, Ms. Jackson. I close with my favorite Bible verse, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. 
or Thursday at 7 p.m. here on 103.7 FM or 1600 AM. Or please go to SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts at any time because local matters.